inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello and thank you for joining today. Many people start their interest learning about more about public speaking because they believe they have fear of public speaking. So that might sound familiar to you. And today we have a very special guest who has very interesting and unique ideas about this fear of public speaking. So let me introduce you, Jeff Owen. Jeff is a professionally trained actor who left the theater because he was crippled by his fear in the more than 20 years since his acting career ended. And after many trainings, much research and experience working with people to overcome their fear, Jeff has worked to create the new paradigm for public speaking, a completely new way to approach public speaking that eliminates fear, removes the stress of presenting, and allows people to discover their natural self-expressions. Jeff lives in London, UK. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Oscar. It's lovely to be here. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Mm. <laughs> so you are an actor who became a public speaking coach. Could you tell us a bit that what was your aha moment motivation? What led you to that? Well, um, as you said in the lovely introduction that you read out there, I had uh, a fear uh, when I was acting. I had a fear mm. that I hid very brilliantly, by the way, to everybody. And um, my confidence suffered enormously and I left the theater. So then I thought, well, what am I going to do? I created businesses. I, uh, I've had a variety of careers. I trained as a joiner and a carpenter, and I had a mm -hmm. joinery business for 10 years. I then went into property. I had property development, and um, I, I've done all sorts of things. And, you know, what I discovered was that I wasn't getting any satisfaction from these mm -hmm. things. I don't know about you, Oscar, but my, my view is that <clears throat> it's so easy for us to focus on what we're good at and what we like in, in determining our chosen path, our career path, which I think is something faced by lots of young people these days, which I think is a terrible burden for them. Because, you know, if I was to, I don't know, let's say I was good at tying my shoelaces and I loved and felt really strongly and enjoyed uh, eating avocado, if I did that all my life, <laughs> there'd come a point where it wouldn't be enough. And that's what happened with me. So I wanted to do something that would make a difference uh, to others because I feel there's a, another value to be had in helping people um, beyond money, beyond reward. It makes you feel good. And I then thought about my, my crippling fear and, and confidence. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that's when it started to happen for me, really. Uh, I know I'm, I'm going on a little bit here. Uh, can I just add one more thing before we mm -hmm. begin our conversation about it? <laughs> Is that I had a business at the time where I was required to do some video. Mm -hmm. And we had a wonderful copywriter who wrote out my speeches for me and my talks on video, and I couldn't do it. 
Mm. I couldn't sound natural, and it troubled me and bugged me. And I started then to look at that as an issue. And it all began with a, a workshop that I called at the time Presence. It was called Presence, the workshop. And I, then I brought in all my acting skills, all the stuff I'd learnt being in a theatre for 12, 12 years or more, and created this workshop. And that's where it all began. Hmm. Very interesting path. In, in <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everything brought you back to to your roots, no? Acting on, on the stage and the way to express yourself, no? And that's how yeah. now you are um, helping others. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I get my joy. I get my fulfillment and satisfaction as opposed to, you know, focusing on pleasure. I feel very strongly about this. Pleasure, I think we... we as a society, focus so much on on pleasure, and I think mm -hmm. pleasure is, is often short-lived, uh, rather than looking at fulfillment and satisfaction, mm -hmm. which I think is eternal if you if you can get there, you know. Sure, sure. Coming to the to the topic about a fear of public speaking, I, mm -hmm. I read your on your blog. You have very interesting views, but let's start telling me. What is fear of public speaking, if such a thing exists? <laughs> okay. Well, okay. The fear, fear of public speaking. Well, we know what public speaking is, don't we? We, you know, it's when you're speaking in public. Presentations on video, you could, you could argue that's public. Mm -hmm. uh, meetings, network meetings, speaking. So the next question is, well, what is fear? And this idea that we have a fear of public speaking. When, when people come to me for help, and I deal with, work with CEOs, I work with business startups, I work with all sorts of people, they believe they have a fear of public speaking. And I say to them, well, you don't have a fear of public speaking, actually. And they kind of look at me <laughs> quizzically and think, well, well yes, I do. <laughs> and then, so then we start to talk about fear. So I say to them, well, what is fear? And it boils down to fear being a non-thinking biochemical response by the body, which is a very ancient response, as you mm -hmm. might appreciate. And really, I've described it as the, it's the body's way to make you do something. And that's in terms of a perceived threat to one's physical survival. So it's either trying to get you to run away or stand your ground or even hide, you know, the fight, mm -hmm. flight, freeze thing. So when I present that to my clients and I say, so when you're stood in front of an audience, can that kill you? <laughs> can that event actually kill you? Can it harm you? And obviously the answer is no, it can't. So you don't really have a fear of the event of the actual process of speaking in public what you have a fear of is the meaning that you're attaching to it which is a different something it's a whole different way of approaching it and just by distinguishing that that you don't have a fear of public speaking but you have you have a re response to the event the meaning you're giving it which is then creating your fear begins to free people up from this perception that they have a fear of public speaking. So that that's basically it in a nutshell, really. It's a lot more involved in that, but, you know, 
in, in a few minutes, that's basically what it is. And how um, <laughs> you understand that you are you you show this difference, you explain um yeah. is different to um to the your customer yeah. person you you your coaches and but um what is their how do you convince and how they how they yeah, get how convinced of <laughs> <or> that? <laughs> yes, good good expression. How do I convince? Well, Usually, well, not usually, by the end of my workshops, people end up speaking very spontaneously and freely without fear mm -hmm. and without knowing actually what they're going to say next, which is a beautiful uh, turning point for people. Once they get into the space that I, I, I supply access to, because they do it already, they generate it for themselves. I'm not in the business of fixing people. Because we don't, we don't actually need fixing, really. So what I get them to do is to look at what's going on for them. What are they telling themselves? What are they, what are they saying to themselves about being in front of, a, of an audience? And this gets down to their beliefs, which are created by meanings. Now, uh, there are two, two domains that I approach fear of public speaking from. One is from beliefs. And it's about eliminating beliefs. And I find there's probably about, I don't know, something like a dozen, a dozen different beliefs. Beliefs like I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, mm -hmm. uh, mistakes and failure are bad. Those, you know, those kind of, uh, those kind of beliefs. And they kind of layer one on top of each other. And we, we, over a period of time, remove them. It is very possible to remove one's fear and anxiety because of these beliefs that's, that's creating them, because I've done it myself. That's how I got rid of my own fear, actually. However, that takes uh, time. Mm -hmm. There is another domain, the second domain that I dwell in, and that's to do with this idea of this new paradigm. And what I do is I, I help people create a new paradigm for public speaking, so that basically insulates them, and they end up bypassing all their discomfort and fear because they are now able to stand in this new paradigm as opposed to the old paradigm. So the question is, what is, what is a paradigm? What is a paradigm? Well, a paradigm really is, is, has, has rules and guidelines which have two functions. The rules and guidelines are there to really solve problems and also at the same time they create they create boundaries they create uh, a shape so if you looked up paradigm in the dictionary it would say model or pattern mm -hmm. yes you follow me yeah well you you probably know about this wouldn't you being an engineer you imagine <laughs> you'd understand this very well so the old paradigm for instance as i call it this is this is my idea this is just an idea you know the old paradigm would be that you need to be professional as a public speaker would you agree with that i mean what would be some of the paradigm old parad the the common assumptions the common beliefs about public speaking for you oscar what would that be <laughs> what would you say one is the you have to be polished for instance polished mm. yeah i say professional you say polished yes yes That's right. Mm -hmm. What else? What else? Think about it. What, what comes to mind? Well, confidence is normally one keyword. Yes. Yeah. 
How about word perfect? How about yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, um, yeah, expressing correctly, no? That's correctly, mm -hmm. yes. You have to speak a particular way, you might have to move a particular way, you might have a certain certain vocal abilities. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on, actually. It's mm -hmm. quite an endless list. So what I find when people come to me is that they are in this, they're in this, this pattern, they're in this model, they're in this, these ideas. And it's these ideas, because they can't fulfill them, that creates their anxiety and stress because of their beliefs about themselves. Do you follow me? Mm -hmm. So... What we do is we get them to create their own paradigm. Mm -hmm. Now, we do that by talking about a thing called context. And context really is something that informs our behavior. So, what would you, what would you, how would you see a context? What, how would you describe a context, Oscar? Context of, um, Um, it's, it's a tricky word. <laughs> no, it is. It's a very tricky word to explain context. When something's in, in or out of context, for instance, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. If you and I, Oscar, were having a heated discussion, mm -hmm. passionate discussion about public speaking, let's say, mm -hmm. and we were on a busy high street with people walking to and fro, and we were kind of, you know, waving our arms about and getting very... <laughs> <laughs> very excited yeah. and i said and i said to you suddenly hey wait a minute oscar hold on let's continue our discussion over here and let's say i led you by the arm in front of these doors these big oak doors and we pushed the doors open and we stepped through these doors and we find ourselves in a church <laughs> yeah how do you think that would inform our behavior being in that building do you think we would have the same conversation no. In the same way? No, we wouldn't, would we? No. What might we? What? How might that inform our behaviour? Being in a church, how might how might might our behaviour be informed? Yeah, more calm, respectful. Yes, calm, respectful. So you can see then that there is a a contextual element to being in a church than there is being on a high street. So context informs our behavior it doesn't act on our behavior it doesn't make us do things we just do it because that's what you do it's a bit like the paradigm you know we we think we've got to be professional as a public speaker because that's what that's the informedness that's what we think we have to do that's what the books say that's what the the newscasters on tv look like they're doing so we've, we've got all this knowingness around being a public speaker that informs how we think we need to be so what, what ends up happening is people start being who they think they need to be as opposed to being who they are. And that's, mm -hmm. that's for me, is the, is the crux of it. So, contextually, there's something around creativity, contextually. Okay, so let's say, let's look at education. Let's look at the education system per se, generally, in our society. In the Western world, certainly. It's part of the context of learning is that you have to do certain things and have certain things in order to be uh, a, a great or successful student, let's say. So you've got to go to lessons, you've got to uh, 
have maybe in some circumstances a school uniform. You've got to have homework. You've got to study. You've got to do exams. So there's lots of having and doing. And then you will be, you know, if you pass your exams, you'll be eligible for university or a particular job or mm-hmm. career. So there's like a, a do and a have in order to be. Whereas in in my workshop, I I let I encourage people to lean out of thinking they've got to stand a certain way or mm-hmm. speak a certain way or know their script a certain way and get them to focus on what they want their audience to have. So in other words, if you're speaking, I mean, you, you belong to Toastmasters, you've mentioned to me. Mm-hmm. So you will have, you will want to give a speech and have a certain outcome from your audience. And that might be you want them to do something. You might want them to feel something or uh, or experience something. So you're going to be wanting something from your audience. So I get my my clients to choose what they want their audience to do, having heard them speak. Do you get that? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Like the the objective of the, the, what you want to achieve with the audience. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, And a lot of, people who speak about their businesses or about, you know, or in front of audiences often and easily focus on the content mm-hmm. and what they want to share as opposed to whether the audience are, uh, are there to receive it or can receive it or are open to receive it or whether it's suitable or not in my view. So they focus on now, sometimes they might say a common thing is they want to inspire their audience. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so instead of looking at what you've got to do, you what to what you've got to have in order to be inspiring, I say if you want to inspire your audience, who do you need to be? Which is different. So I get my clients to start looking at those people that they are inspired by and also those people that inspire many and start to look at the common traits that these people have. So I'm going to ask you now, Oscar. So someone that's inspiring, can you think of someone that inspires you? Mm, yes, I mean, there are, there are many. In the, in yeah, the, there might be people that you know personally or famous. Is there someone you can think of? Like Amy Cuddy, she's a TED, mm. TED speaker, for instance. Right, okay, she's a TED speaker. Okay, Amy, what was her name again? Amy Cuddy. Oh, Amy Cuddy. Yes, I know Amy Cuddy. So what is it about Amy that inspires you? How do you know you're inspired by Amy? Mm-hmm. Well, because it's in, in her case, it's also her life experience that uh, she managed to, um, to beat uh, difficulties in, in her personal and professional life. And she became uh, uh, someone who made an excellent speech, wrote a book, sure. etc. Mm-hmm. So what, what, how, how do you know about her life story? Because she told her in that very... Okay, so famous. how does she tell you about her life story? What's the, what's the qualities? What, what elements about her personality, her character, strike you? For instance, does she speak? Is she frantic? Is she quiet? Is she aggressive? Is she... Absent minded. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to get you to think of what is it about her, her person, the way she's being, 
remember I said I asked my clients to to think who do they need to be, who they need to be in order to inspire an audience. What what is it about her being that you notice? I mean, there is some yeah sort of authenticity in the way she she express herself. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about authenticity. So what what is it about her that has you receive her as being authentic? What is it about what's her beingness that tells you she's authentic? Because she uh, she talks about herself and uh, past experiences, you know, and she shows emotions when she. So she's so you could say that she shows emotions. So she shows her emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You also said that she tells you about her past. So would you say she's open? Yes. She allows herself to be vulnerable? Exactly. So do you see, these are the qualities that is conveying to you that that has you start to be inspired by her. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. So what I get my audience to do, my, my clients rather to do, is to choose a beingness, as I call it, a way of being to stand in, to be, to embody. So... Bearing in mind, of course, that Amy will be, one minute she will be vulnerable, one minute she might be feel very um, angry, she might feel very sad, she mm-hmm. might feel very clear, she be very clear, she might be very still. There's many beingnesses that we stand in as human beings, and we move from them from, day, from moment to moment through the day. So we start off with just one, and what I ask my, my clients to do in, in the face of, say, say in this instance, um, you're talking about Amy being inspiring, and you just mentioned she's very, you know, she she uh, allows her emotions to mm-hmm. flow and be open, so to speak. I would encourage them to be open. I would just say, can you just be open? Mm-hmm. Allow yourself sure. to be open. Now, what that does is that takes care of all they're doing. Remember, I started off by saying, how we create really is by doing and having lots of things so we can be the thing we want to create. And I'm saying, let's start with have with the audience, what you want them to have. And we focus on the being and that leaves the doing because when you start being open, suddenly it provides all your words, how you move, how you express yourself and how you communicate. It does really magically. And it's hard for people to really grasp this until they actually experience it. Because they're in the old paradigm, because they're thinking, oh, no, mm. you can't do that. You've got to have a script. You've got to know <laughs> what you're saying. You've got to, you know, know, you've got a beginning and middle and end. You've got to start off with a bang, and you've got to get your audience's attention and all of that. So what happens when you start being open is you start getting to a very authentic place because you're of and in the moment. And your openness will create your words and create how you speak and what you say and how you say it. And because you're being authentic, the audience then will begin to trust you more because we deem to trust that which we, well, sorry, we, we trust that which we deem to be authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, a bit like finding a painting in the attic that's, you know, looks a bit like a Rembrandt, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then once it's authenticated, suddenly it's worth millions and millions of pounds. It's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's authentication. So, being authentic is very important for a speaker. Now, the, the old paradigm, as I call it, most speakers, and I'm sure this may be, you may be able to relate to this, having spent your time in, with Toastmasters, 
is knowing your, your script is often a prerequisite for a lot of speakers. And my view is that if you know your script so well and you stand in front of an audience as if you're being spontaneous, it's kind of counterproductive because the audience will know that you're not being spontaneous. And that kind of, kind of renders a speaker inauthentic instantly because they're speaking as if they're thinking about this in the moment and responding to the audience, the topic, where they are. And in fact, they're not. They're actually trying to replicate something they may have created weeks ago in some mm-hmm. hotel lobby somewhere or in an office or in, even in the back of the taxi. I've had people create speeches. <laughs> you know, it's so, so really speaking to an audience is a conversation. Mm-hmm, yes. It's not a download, is it? You know that, Oscar. It's not a download of information. It's not a, it's not a, um, a data dump, you know. It's, it's a conversation. And I always say that half of your conversation, if you're really present, if you can get yourself to be really present, is, is generated from the audience themselves, even though they don't speak. Even though they don't speak. And what I talk about in my coaching is something called speaking to the listening. If you understand what I mean by that. Do you get what I mean by that? Mm. Speaking could, to you, the could you explain, please? Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Speaking to the listening. Well, you know, when, when one is so familiar with one's topic and subject, it's so easy to talk about it mm-hmm. and become oblivious to whether or not someone's actually listening mm-hmm. and actually receiving it. So talking to the, speaking to the listening is about being highly present to your audience's ability to listen and whether they are listening or not. Mm-hmm. And they will show their listening energetically. You will feel it if you're present enough and you will see it in how they, they move, whether they fidget, whether they tilting their heads, whether their eyes close, and you will always be able to connect with them because you're present to that listening. And whether, whether some, an audience is listening or not will depend, will rather, it will, it will create what you say and how you say it and how you respond. Mm-hmm. And if you are so clear about what you're conveying in a particular order or in a particular way, it's very difficult to be present to the audience's listening because you're going to say what you're going to say, whether they're listening or not, which to me just doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, it's a bit like looking down the wrong end of a telescope for me. When you think about it, the last thing that gets created in any communication are the words. The last thing. Yet the first thing most speakers start with are the words. And you think, wow, <laughs> what's that about? What is that about? <laughs> yeah, interesting you know, observation, of course. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> it's so interesting, isn't it, Oscar? So, and... I get very excited about this. I really do. I, when I was an actor in a theater and, and, you know, after the show, the audience might come up and talk to the actors if you go to the bar or something. One of the most frequent questions I would get asked is, how do you, how do you remember all your words? Hmm. And what I say to them is quite um, arresting a little bit for some. I say to them, well, actors don't learn words, actually. 
They do, but actually they don't. Actors, first of all, look at what is creating the words. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So they look at what maybe one character wants from another, what they're mm -hmm. feeling, what happened just now, what's going to be happening in the future. So they're looking at what's generating the words so they can make the words sound natural. So when they do actually come to put the words in place, they kind of fall in place quite naturally because they're being driven by thought. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you follow that. So when you're speaking to an audience, you've got to be thinking and you've got to be thinking of the moment. And, you know, this is where your, your security will really, really begin to grow. If you can trust that you have all the, all your knowledge, all your ideas, all your passions, all your information at your fingertips because you know your topic so well and you do need to know your topic well. And you can trust that whatever, whatever happens and you allow yourself to respond to the audience, you will be able to talk. Not dissimilar to how we're talking now. You know, I'm just talking. I haven't planned well. I haven't got a script here. No script. No. Huh? What? No script. <laughs> no script, of course. There's no script. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, when, you know, if, if, a, if, a, <laughs> if a talk is having a conversation, if giving a, a talk or a speech is, is having a conversation with the audience and, and you need a script, when was the last time you had a chat with a friend and you, you wrote down what you were going to say to your friend? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> We don't do that. <laughs> But the old paradigm, this old this this thing, the the these these guidelines and and assumptions and beliefs we have around being a public speaker, you know, think we think we have to do that stuff. And what I do is I get play, people to another place where they start to experience what I call their natural self-expression, mm -hmm. and they become free. They do. They become free of their anxiety and, and uh, discomfort. And they start to actually enjoy it. And they turn up to an event and they don't know what they're going to say. And the audience doesn't know what they're going to say. So it's going to be, you know, quite a, an exciting evening. Whereas if they know what they're going to say, they will immediately become anxious because will they remember everything in the right order? <laughs> Depending on how good their memory is. <laughs> well, exactly. How good is their memory? You know, what happens if you're doing a big old talk and you're in the middle of doing it and it's all word for word and someone keels over with a heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. You know, it's going to be very difficult for you to break out of that and be natural and present and authentic to actually what's going on. <laughs> Do you follow me? Unless you are the world champion of memory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, even memory, you know, when we're trying to remember something, we're not, we're not really thinking. Here's the thing. Okay. If you ever seen someone forget what to say in a talk, in a, you must have been in Toastmasters. Have you? Pardon? Have you ever, have you ever seen being present when someone forgets what to say? In, oh, well, that happened oh, um, mm? everywhere, everywhere you can see that. Yeah, there you go. Now, it's not a particularly pleasant experience, is it? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not pleasant for the audience, and it's certainly not pleasant for the person that's forgotten. But here's the thing. The reason why people forget what they've remembered 
is because they don't learn thoughts. They learn words. Mm. It's, a very in, it's a very delicate something, but it's really important. So when you're writing a speech, what happens is you get out your laptop, don't you, or something. You, you get a docu Word document or even on paper, and you start writing out. Is this what you do, Oscar? I don't know if you do this. You may not. You may just speak. It depends on the occasion. Depends on the occasion. Mm -hmm. But have you experienced doing that? Out of yes. I certainly have. I used to do this when I was trying to do my videos, and I just couldn't make it work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you write out everything, and then what happens? The first thing is you start thinking, well, actually, no, that, that's, I'm, I'm going to scrub that out. I'm going to cross that, cross that word out, and I'm going to use that word. And then you suddenly think of another way of expressing it. You think, oh, that's much better. Have you experienced this? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you, then you fill in another. You start, basically, you start editing, and you re-edit, and you re-edit. Now, what's going on there is, is that you're using the beautiful tool called your intellect <laughs> that is a, wonderful, is a wonderful editor, and it will want to get it perfect and right. So your, your intellect is creating this see this whole map of words to express yourself with, and Really, what it's trying to do is, is use, you're trying to use your intellect to describe an emotional experience. Because when we share our story, when we talk to other people, we're emotional. It's an emotional conveyance. You know, we might be passionate, we might be frustrated, we might be excited. It's a very emotional something. So really, I always say it's like oil and water. The two just don't go. And then what happens is, you then commit it to memory often, or you at least rehearse it and rehearse it, and you go over it and go over it. And, and the reason why people do that is for certainty. Now, getting back to the fear of public speaking, the reason why the fear comes up is the perception of the uncertainty, which isn't in the actual event of public speaking, although there is an uncertainty to it, is what the uncertainty means to us in terms of our beliefs. So what human beings find it very difficult to cope with is uncertainty. Whereas I'm saying that the certainty is a gateway to certainty. <laughs> if you can embrace the uncertainty, everything becomes certain. Because you can't go wrong. <laughs> when, when, when you speak in front of an audience and you don't know what, you, you haven't got anything planned, you're not trying to get anything right. So therefore, you can't go wrong. And this is the new paradigm I'm talking about. And it creates your natural, you're free to naturally express yourself. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Of course, it's, um, as you said, it, uh, it's difficult to explain in a in, in, in few minutes, like in this conversation, and understand that on your, on your workshop, you go very deep. But, uh, I got these two points you, you call, I think, domains. One is the, the, yeah, the beliefs and the other is the, the new paradigm no? of yeah, public the speaking, the mm. context. Yes, absolutely. Very, very interesting. It is. And, you know, I would I encourage you to try it. Could you, oh. Jeff, now tell us what is your favorite quotation? You may not get this, but I hope you do. And it's an anonymous one. I don't know who, who came up with this, but you, you're aware that my my children were, didn't go to school. They were homeschooled. They didn't go to school for the mm. first 14, 16 years of their lives. And um, 
So my interest in education and how we learn has been very heightened. Mm. And I, I, you know, I'm very frustrated sometimes about how, how we try and teach our children. I think it really stifles their creativity. So a phrase that we used to use in our household, and we still do, is that uh, no one has ever grown any taller having been measured. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you get that? <laughs> So we are so obsessed with measurement, mm. you know, and measurement can be useful, but you know, um, sometimes it's not, it's not as, as helpful as it can be. And, um, yeah, it can be misleading, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, if you, you, you don't grow taller mm. for being measured, you don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an excellent quotation. <laughs> haven't heard it before. No, I'm, I'm glad you like that one. Um, sometimes people argue with me and say, well, yes, you need to measure things. You need to know where you've come to and where you've gone to. And oh. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. But the, the, the sentiment, you get the sentiment, Oscar, yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Jeff, could you now um, tell us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential and shared with us as a good read? Yes. Uh, when I... Uh, started working in the theatre, having trained at the Old Vic Theatre School for three years. I started doing repertory theatre. And I came, someone recommended a book to me, and it's called The Continuum Concept by Gene Leadloff. Do you know about that book? No, please tell us a bit about that. It's a wonderful, amazing book, um, in my view. Uh, briefly, mm -hmm. Jean Leadloff, who is now no longer with us, she died... Uh, in 2004 in San Francisco. Um, she basically was uh, an American. She was a model. She was a dropout from a med school and she was in Paris in France. One day she was getting, uh, having a drink with some Spaniards who said, look, we're going to Brazil, mm -hmm. diamond mining. Do you want to come? And she had to make a split decision. And she said, yes, I will. I'll come. So she got on a the train, they made their journey. And she found herself in the Amazon jungle. Oh. And um, she spent months and months and months there living with a, um, a tribe mm -hmm. called the Aquana. And she went back there over years, actually, many years. She went back there several times. And what she noticed was that children didn't cry. Oh. She, she thought, gosh, there's no children crying and, and, and the kids don't fight and the parents aren't shouting at them. <laughs> She's thinking, what's, what's going on? You know, what's, what's this about? And she became completely um, enchanted with their way of life. And after traveling out there two or three times, she, she was encouraged by a friend to write about her, her, her experiences mm -hmm. and her thoughts. And she created this book called The Continuum Concept. Oh. And it's to do with um, the, the follies, as she would call it, of child-centered parenting. And uh, my children were brought up with some of her principles. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's partly why they didn't go to school, actually, in the mm -hmm. end. Uh, although that wasn't a conscious decision. That just happened over time. But basically, she got two or three principles that she noticed. She noticed that children really were given responsibility at a very young age mm -hmm. by two and three years of age. They'll be carrying the, the, the babies and things like that. They would be using axes. They would be lighting fires at very, very young ages. So they were, they were, uh, they were trusted. Mm -hmm. 
they also noticed that um, the parents didn't talk to their children very much at all. Mm-hmm. So the children were, were totally on the periphery of the adult's life. Mm-hmm. And these are two very simple principles. Another one was that the ch- babies were carried all the time, all the time, until they were ready to walk. Now, when you compare that with our Western world, um, you know, it's when, when we have children, when we, you know, when, when a couple has a, has a child and a mother conceives and the, the baby's brought into the world, there's a whole, whole thing of the child becomes the life. Um, it's, it's an amazing book because it opens up a whole, whole, whole question of how we actually relate and communicate with our children, but also where, where, our, where our children are in terms of us as adults, mm-hmm. you know, it's like children come into this world and, and they want to learn what you do on this planet. You know, what do you do around here? You know, whereas most of our children for the first three, four, five years of their lives do very little, mm-hmm. really, sure. you know, they're not, they're not used. And I think this really contributes to their lack of, um, um, confidence, mm-hmm. uh, low yeah, self-esteem, yeah. Yeah. you know, I can connect that. Makes you, can, you can relate to that, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. very interesting book. Eh? Thank it you. is interesting, but it's Jean Lee Loff, mm-hmm. and it's called um, The Continuum Concept. Have a read of that. Great. Jeff, finally, please share with us an exercise, something practical that you recommend to do a daily yes. or weekly, a routine I to shine. It. This is wonderful. For you to shine, it always amazes me that people, when they come to speak in public, and I say to them, do you speak out loud? They say, what? I said, do you ever speak out loud? They say, well, no. I said, well, no wonder you find it difficult because <laughs> you're not used to speaking out loud. So my encouragement is, and I do this every day of my life, Oscar. There's not a day that doesn't go by. You can ask my children this, <laughs> where I don't speak out loud. Speaking out loud is different to writing. It's different to having a conversation on the telephone, mm-hmm. blogging, texting, emailing. You know, there's many ways we communicate with the world about what we do, but we seldom speak out loud to the nothingness. Now, something really special starts to happen when you do that. You know, when you create a word and it's in your mouth, as soon as it leaves your lips, it is gone. However, if someone's listening to it, it can remain with them infinitely. It's a very powerful something. So being conscious of what words you're using is very, very important as a speaker. And the first thing you've got to do is get used to how you speak and accept it. (laughs) Instead of trying to speak in the way you think you need to speak, notice by speaking out loud how you, how you express yourself, Mm -hmm. which is unique to you, which is the glory of you, of, of, of you being in front of an audience is that you are unique. You know, instead of trying to be who you think you need to be with all these rules and regulations around public speaking, you know, informing your, your behavior, start to get used to your voice. So what you can do is go into a park. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. Um, I, I just posted a video online of me speaking on, on um, the Millennium Bridge in London. Okay. People are walking past me and I'm just speaking. <laughs> and, um, and the thing is, 
um, I, don't, I, I hope we're not running out of time. I just want to add one little thing to this: is that do you know spontaneity? There's a structure to it. Have you heard of that, Oscar? Again, please. The structure of spontaneity. Mm, no. Yeah, the structure of spontaneity is really, really simple. Spontaneity, and it, it's why actors can improvise. Have you ever seen mm. these programs where actors improvise and they create these stories and it all seems to flow really easily? You've seen those programs at all? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, improvisation. Mm -hmm. Many movies are made with it, actually. So um, the structure of spontaneity is acceptance. That is it. Just mm -hmm. imagine if you can accept people staring at you when you speak out loud, an audience not liking you or not thinking or thinking you've, 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 you know, they don't like what you're saying. You can accept how you look, your body. You can accept how you express yourself. If you can accept all of that, you become free to freely express yourself and access your natural self-expression, which <clears throat> is my overall, my overreaching desire and my passion in life is to, if I can, improve the quality of people's lives. And that's basically it. So improve the quality of your life by being able to be comfortable with how you express yourself. And it starts with you getting used to hearing your voice, getting you used mm -hmm. to using it. That's my big recommendation. Hmm. Thanks a lot. Uh, speaking out loud, the best, the, yeah. the best way loud. to... To start with this acceptance that... Um, it is. Yeah. yeah. You can do it in your car, Oscar. You can do it in your car. You can do it in the bath, in the shower. <laughs> you can do it... Oscar, you can do it walking Everywhere. down the street. You can yes. do it walking down the street. Who's going to stop you? Just start getting used to it. <laughs> there are no fines for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not yet. You might get taken away by the police. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, thanks a lot for this great interview, Jeff. Uh, oh, I've enjoyed it. I, I, um, yes, I've <laughs> really enjoyed it. Jeff, please tell us now how we can learn more about you, follow you. What are the best ways for that? Okay, you can go to my website called, uh, it's at jeffreyowen.com. That's www.jeffreyowen.com, jeffreyowen.com. And that's my website. You can see videos there. You can get mm -hmm. downloads. You, you can subscribe. I send emails out every week. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, Jeffrey Owen YouTube channel. And um, I got online courses. I got a thing called Fear to Flow. My methodology, by the way, is called Fear to Flow, Oscar. I don't know if you know about that. Fear to Flow, yes. Yeah, Fear mm -hmm. to Flow. That's my methodology. And, um, you know, I've got online courses. But, you know, I, I also offer free consultations. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, it's lovely. Because so anybody that's really serious, and I mean serious about dealing with this issue of expressing themselves, um, whether it's in their business or not, it doesn't actually matter, but it's very useful in business. But it, this has ramifications for you in your everyday life, actually. Um, and, you know, go to my website, book up a call, and we can chat. Oh, thanks, thanks a lot. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm always happy to talk about that to anyone and um you know we can look at what your problems are i can give you some support and you know i can let you know how we can help you if, if it's of interest to you but it's a no obligation call you know it's no obligation mm -hmm. oh, oh. Th thanks again jeff it was a pleasure talking with you and all the best thank you very much oscar and bye-bye everyone bye-bye bye-bye thank you for listening to today's episode did you like it Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, 
or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time.